Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Welcome to season number one, episode number five of Mission Focused Men for Christ. This episode is entitled, Our Mission Matters Because of Who is Sending Us. This is the fifth episode of a series that explains the purpose of the Mission Focused Men for Christ podcast. We've been examining the title of the podcast word by word. We saw that Christ has sent us on a great mission to seek the reign of Christ, the King, over the loyalties of our hearts, over the attitudes of our hearts, and over the planet by seeking to implement his agenda of righteousness in every sphere where we have influence in our culture. We then saw the need to stay focused on that mission in the crazy busy lives we lead, which requires a game plan to be accomplished uh, as we seek to accomplish our mission and a regular briefing, perhaps on the Lord's Day or Monday morning with our commander in chief to focus on that mission. Last week, we examined our mission as men, the call to show the world godly manhood as it was designed to be. We summarize this calling using alliteration. We are called to provide what is needed for others to thrive, protect others from harm, pursue a woman to love her, enjoy her, and partner with her in our mutual mission, and to be powerful, that is, strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Today, we look at the fourth word in the podcast title, for. Mission-Focused Men for Christ. Understanding who our mission is for is the key that unlocks our motivation to keep devoting ourselves to the mission assigned to us by our Lord. The question, who is this mission for, really poses two sub-questions. First, who is sending us on this mission? Second, who benefits from us completing the mission. Let's consider these two questions. First, who calls us to this mission? The one calling us to our mission is first the Creator. Colossians 1 15 through 17 tells us that all things were created through and for Christ. As our Creator, our Lord put us on planet Earth with a mission and tells us in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible what that mission is. In Genesis 1, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What does God mean when he describes our creation calling as exercising dominion over the earth or filling it or subduing it? The answer requires that we understand the context, which is God's three-stage work of creation being explained in Genesis 1. The first stage is described in verses 1 and 2 of that chapter. It is creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. 
In the beginning, there was only God. He brings the stuff of creation into existence out of nothing. Having made this stuff, God's creative work continues. Genesis 1, 3 through 2, 3 is stage two, diversification. God brings about order by distinguishing and separating. He separates the light from the darkness, the atmosphere from the oceans, the dry land from the seas, the birds, the fish, and animal kingdoms from each other. Finally, he makes Adam from the ground and Eve from Adam. Throughout this process, God's creative work is shown in ordering, separating, and shaping the material of creation. Although we might assume that God has now ended his creative process, God delegates the third stage of creation to his image bearers. Humankind is now assigned the task of generating life by reproducing, so that the earth is filled. As the ESV Study Bible notes point out, God's creation plan is that the whole earth should be populated by those who know him and who serve wisely as the vice regents visurgents, or representatives. Adam is also to continue God's creative work of ordering, shaping the material of creation by subduing the earth. To subdue the earth is to explore the created world and harness its laws for the good of mankind. The book All of Life Redeemed explains this creation calling. God places creation in the care of people who are to develop it. The potential God has created is to be released. The possibilities are to be explored. People are to explore these possibilities with honor and industry. In fulfilling this responsibility, they found joy, meaning, and identity. It was no token job. They were to rule, fill, subdue, and cultivate as they were empowered by God. This was the third stage of creation. What we do from Monday morning through Friday afternoon is not simply earn money to provide for our families and give to the church. It is not even primarily having some platform for sharing the gospel. Rather, it is helping God develop the potential of this earth. And that vocational calling we have is primary. God wants the potential of this world, including its people, developed. He wants humans to enjoy the playground of this world kicking balls, writing and performing music, using the incredible array of color he built into the light spectrum to make beautiful art, writing and hearing stories, discovering how to make drones work, using FaceTime apps to communicate with loved ones from around the world. He wants us to enjoy loving, being loved, and making love. God's goodness is revealed in his creation. He loves his world. It is a mirror of his glory. So by enjoying it, we enjoy him. Now, this idea of enjoying the pleasures of creation, though, might seem kind of worldly. The pursuit of non-Christians. I mean, doesn't Scripture say to believers, love not the world, neither the things of the world? And that's true in 1 John 2.15. But John is not talking about enjoying creation. Rather, he is talking about the reign of evil in that creation. This becomes clear when he continues his thought in the next verse. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
Sensuality is the misuse of what God created sex to be, not the enjoyment of married sexual pleasure. Covetousness is overly desiring creation blessings that you don't have, not enjoying what you do have. Pride of life is not the pleasure of fulfilling our God-given potential. It is thinking we have reached that success in our own strength. So our mission as Christ followers begins with our creation mandate to develop the resources and culture of planet Earth. Second, our mission is from our designer. Psalm 139 not only tells us that we were perfectly knitted together in our mother's womb, but it links the blueprint for us to the days, the activities of our lives. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Think about the significance of this truth. We were designed perfectly for the unique mission Christ has for us day in and day out. The jobs we fill are not random. God shaped you providentially for that vocation and that job. He wants you to do your vocational work Christianly. That is in a way that honors Christ. I suspect that Jesus, who was probably a stonemason as well as a carpenter, built the best tables you ever saw. You are in your workplace to try to shape the culture for the high king there. If you are married, it is this woman alone with all her flaws and strengths that you are to devote yourself to loving well. If you have children, no matter whether five days or 50 years old, no other human can be the father to them that they need but you. The neighbors or work associates in your sphere are not there by accident. You may be the only gospel they read. Our mission overflows with significance, especially when we realize that we were perfectly designed for it before the foundation of the world. And by the way, when we feel completely inadequate to take a single step to accomplish this mission, we find strength in the truth that God shows us for that mission before the foundation of the world knowing all of our sin and weakness and inadequacy beforehand. Third, we are called to our mission by our master. We are his disciples. The followers of Jesus had a much clearer picture of what a disciple was than we do today. Bands of disciples with their masters were quite common back then. Everyone knew that a disciple, the Greek word is mathetes, was a follower of the master. The disciple had the deepest kind of personal friendship with the master because they did life together. The disciple patterned his whole life on the teaching and example of his master. The disciple's greatest goal was to become like his master. And the disciple, as a follower, went along with the master wherever the master went. He joined in his master's mission, which points to another characteristic of the one who calls us to our mission. And that is, fourthly, he is the rightful king over planet Earth. He took on human flesh, invaded the kingdom of Earth to take back Adam's kingdom from the usurpers, Satan, sin, and death, defeated them at the cross, and having seated, 
been seated at the right hand of the Father, has inaugurated the righteous reign of his kingdom over every square inch of planet Earth, which he claims as his own. When he ascended, the Holy Spirit was poured out in fuller measure, who empowers us for our mission to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in our personal love and loyal love for and loyalty to Christ, in transforming the sinful attitudes of our hearts, and in helping us establish righteousness in every sphere of our lives and the culture. Simply stated, our mission in following King Jesus is the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness and the establishment of his kingdom of light through his resurrection power. That is a mission worthy of every ounce of strength we can give it. What a great privilege to know that our lives have eternal significance. Finally, the one last identity of the one who calls us, I want to mention, is that Jesus is our Redeemer. To redeem in the New Testament meant to purchase out of slavery. Jesus bought us out of slavery to sin and freed us from the inevitable consequence of that sin that follows punishment for our transgressions. Paul saw the inherent contradiction in being set free from the power of sin by Christ, but then continuing to live in it. In Romans 6, 2, he asked, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, it is a contradiction, but that's the way we live. The reality is that we have already been set free from the penalty of sin and its right to condemn us. We have already been set free from the power of sin to enslave us. But during this age, we have not yet been set free from the presence of sin to tempt us. That will not happen until Christ returns. Therefore, at the core of our mission will always be battling sin. We don't use the word sin much in this culture, but sin is the horrible, devastating moral cancer that defaces the image of God in humans and which we are to hate. Peter urges us in this battle to hate evil to find strength for that battle uh, against our sinful tendencies in, quote, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The one calling us to the tough everyday mission of dying to the sin that wants to overpower us and destroy us is the one who himself died giving his precious blood to set us free from sin's destructive power. These five descriptions of the one who sends us on our mission are important because our mission is not just a mere job description. It is personal. It's a call, words to you and me from our creator, designer, master, king, and redeemer. It is the one who has assigned us our mission, the one the mission is for, who makes our mission so significant. No wonder Paul challenges the Ephesian believers, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Jesus, our creator, designer, master, king, and redeemer, 
is worthy of the best we can offer him. The second way we want to think about the question, who is our mission for, is to consider who benefits from us accomplishing it. Part of the answer, of course, is that we do. We always benefit from obeying Christ's will for us. It is we who will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe find great joy in eternity, remembering the many ways we have been faithful to the mission given to us by Christ. But I think it adds great motivation to our souls to remember the many ways that fulfilling our mission blesses our Lord Jesus Christ. Here are just a few. Number one, faithfulness to our mission is the way to love him back for all he has done for us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Number two, faithfulness to our mission brings pleasure to him. Scripture says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Think of that. We can bring pleasure to our Lord. Number three, faithfulness to his mission for us causes his name to be honored. Jesus pointed this out when he taught us how to pray. He said, pray then like this, may your name be honored, may it be hallowed. And then he explains how, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Staying focused on our mission magnifies God's name. Number four, faithfulness to our mission brings glory and pleasure to our Lord because we make his bride more radiant. Paul writes, Christ gave himself up for his bride so that he might sanctify her and present the church to himself in splendor. Jesus finds pleasure in the moral beauty of his bride. Number five, faithfulness to our mission fulfills the purpose of our Lord's mission to bring glory to the Father. By this is my Father glorified, said Jesus, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We bring glory to the Father by bearing fruit in our mission. The takeaway to this podcast is this. Staying focused on our mission matters. It matters because of who our mission is for, and because by being faithful to it, we bring Him great pleasure, honor, and glory. So to summarize, we looked at how understanding who our mission is for energizes us. Christ is the one who personally calls our name with a mission for us as our creator, designer, master, king, and redeemer. We further saw that our mission is for Christ and that he is the one who is loved, pleased, honored, and glorified when we are faithful to the mission that he gave us. In our next episode, as the Christmas season is upon us, we will take a closer look at our Lord's title, Christ, and what that means to our everyday lives. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives.